Did you ever watch a movie called Ocean's Eleven? Danny Ocean wants to score the biggest heist in history, and he combines an 11-member team, and they target the Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand, all big casinos. And it's to rob the vault that houses the cash of three casinos in Las Vegas. And he plans to rob it on a night when $150 million is in it. $150 million. They will get secretly in, secretly out, and take what isn't theirs. They'll steal $150 million bucks. Where am I going with this, you're wondering? Well, today as we study Psalm 18, sitting in front of me are who I wanted to call the Fabulous 15. Because you see, when I began talking about studying the Psalms and sent you out the email to let me know if you were coming, I got 15 people right away that said, I'll be there. But we've got a few more this morning, which is even better. And so the Fabulous 15 plus are here not to take what isn't theirs, but just like you who are listening on the podcast, here to avail themselves of something that's free, something that's so freely given to us, the Word of God. And so I just want to begin with prayer right now before we get into Psalm 18, so just bow with me. Father God, as we look into your Word, we are so thankful that you haven't left us adrift in this world that you've given us this word which today means more than it, it, it has in past years to us. Because as we read it and as we mine it, as we look to it, we see what it means to our souls, what you wanted it to mean to us. And we're just so grateful. So bless us now as we listen. Give us hearts that are attentive. And may these words that I've prepared, they're not my words, they're yours, your word. But hide me, Lord, and help these women to see what's not only in my heart, but I believe what's in your heart. Thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if you've read the scripture recommendations I sent out to you, you know that David's song in 2 Samuel 22 and Psalm 18 are pretty much the same, but with some additions, which we will cover. To begin with, you're going to spend some time in 2 Samuel just to give us a broader view of the meaning and depth of David's gratitude and the testimony of his life as a whole. Before we look at the way David encourages Israel through Psalm 18, we need to see the first time he spoke these very words about the Lord. But even before that, I just want to remind us that the Lord, when he was risen and appeared to his followers, said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with, uh, with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. That was in Luke 24, 44. So that everything we read and, and whatever we're going to cover today is for a purpose. We'll spend some time in 2 Samuel just to give us that broader view and before we get to Psalm 18, we're going to see the first time these words are recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And in 2 Samuel, which I, I you know, suggested you read, um, you see that what's written there has a different title than in Psalm 18. In, Psalm, in 2 Samuel 22, it's simply called David's Song of Deliverance. And it'll be given a different title in Psalm 18. 
It suggests that this poem could have been composed shortly after Saul fell on the battlefield. And all Israel then assemble in Hebron to anoint David as king over a united empire. I'm just going to read from 2 Samuel 5, 1 to 5. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, Behold, we are your bone and your flesh. Previously, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and in. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will be a ruler over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king at Hebron, and King David made a covenant with them before the Lord at Hebron. Then they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. At Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years over all Israel and Judah. From Hebron, David went on to capture Jerusalem, became the city of David, and God was with him. He brought the ark to Jerusalem. David still had enemies to face, but at this time he would have to face the Philistines. And after he was crowned in 2 Samuel 5 and 17, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force. But David sought the Lord, and the Lord did something that David will describe in Psalm 18. But for now, listen as I read it from 2 Samuel 5 and 23. Just When David inquired of the Lord, he said, You shall not go directly up. Now this is the Philistines were advancing for the second time. You shall not go directly up. Circle around behind them and come at them in front of the balsam trees. And it shall be when you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the balsam trees, then you shall act promptly, for then the Lord will have gone out before you to strike the army of the Philistines. Then David did so, just as the Lord had commanded him, and struck down the Philistines from Geba as far as Gezer. And after the victory with the Philistines, we go on to see when David was settled in his house. Again, if you've read all this, you've read in chapter 7. The Lord had given him rest from all his enemies, and David wants to build the Lord a house. And it is at this time that the Lord formally instituted his covenant with David and his seed. God says to David through Nathan the prophet, and this is chapter 7, verse 11. For those of you on the podcast, you can take time to turn it off and go look it up. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. And we know Solomon did build a temple. But in these words that Nathan speaks from God, there is more than an earthly building. Listen to Nathan speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom, and your house and your kingdom will be made sure forever before me. And yes, David's son did build the temple, a house for the Lord on Mount Zion in Jerusalem. But more than a temple made of stone, 2 Samuel 7, 13 and 14, within that very message from Nathan, from God through Nathan, God is stating there will be a perpetual dynasty as well as a perpetual dwelling place. In verse 14 of 2 Samuel, we see God is declaring that the son of David, who will rule forever on David's throne, will be God's son, Jesus, and God will be his father. Now, of course, we've got the whole canon of scripture, don't we? And so when we read in Luke 1:31, that famous Christmas passage, 
the angel Gabriel was sent to announce the birth of Jesus to Mary. Listen to his words. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. So at the time of David's coronation, he gives witness and praise to God for all he had done and is going to do. God's throne and David's throne are now one. So now we turn to the second time the song is sung. And it's a long psalm, so we're not going to read it through. We're going to take it section by section. And the description of the psalm, directed to the chief musician, it's meant to be sung. It's a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord. And you know, David talks about himself as the servant of the Lord. Did you catch that? He thought more of announcing his title as servant of the Lord than as that of king. The title goes on to say, Who spoke to the Lord the words of this song in the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So the first occasion for this song was David's personal witness of gratitude to his God. But on this occasion, he's directing the chief musician to lead the people in this song. And that in doing so, they were going to be reminded that their well-being was tied to David and his offspring. And they were to be thankful for the Davidic line. They now had the king of God's own choosing rather than the previous one who had been chosen by men. Israel was to pray that the coming offspring would be faithful to the Lord and that their leaders would lead them to carry out Israel's purpose, bringing light to the Gentiles. And they do that in the way that they would lead. So this psalm would be one of the songs of Israel. But you know, we too as a community of believers are to see that this man David's experience of God and his relationship to him is for us all. Whether we're celebrating a joyful happening or we're in the depths of sorrow and anguish, David's experience is our experience. Psalm 18 is a royal song of thanksgiving in which David tells of God's deliverance of David from all his enemies. The first difference between 2 Samuel 22 and the opening verse of Psalm 18 is that David declares something. He says, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. David's expressing a love for God using an intimate expression. He calls God his strength. He's looking back at the problems he had with Saul and his enemies. He's praising God and thanking him for the way God brought him through his trials. He had fled from him, from Saul. Not because he'd done anything wrong, but because of Saul's madness, Saul's jealousy, his insecurity. As you read it, he had lost touch with reality. Even in, in Jonathan talking to his father, saying, why are you doing this? And sometimes we wonder why things happen. And sometimes they're not of our own doing. But God protected David through the many treacherous situations. And so now he's going to describe who the Lord is. Let's just look at verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. This is David urging Israel to grasp the stability that comes from trusting in God. He's a rock. And this is the first time in the psalm that we see this terminology. 
even when David wandered about in the desert, or he lived in a cave, or he was captive in the hands of the Philistines, feigning madness. This image of a rock wasn't one that he used. It wasn't meaningful. But now he's declaring that God is a rock. Now, this isn't the first time the ancient imagery had been used. Moses, in his song in Deuteronomy 32 and 4, said, Ascribe greatness to the God our rock. His work is perfect and all his ways are just. We sing that, don't we, in a song. Further on in Moses' song to the Lord, for their rock cannot compare to Israel's rock. He was referring to the pagan nations. You see, there was a time Israel had forsaken their rock. So this had been a name given to God at one time. Well, let's look at verse 3. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from mine enemies. The titles David uses to praise God, he calls him his rock, his fortress, his deliverer. God saved David from violence from his enemies, and God preserved David from doing violence against Saul. Now, a rock is a word describing strength, but it also can be a hiding place. Coming from Newfoundland, which is called the rock, you can stand and look at the cliffs and just see a, a plain, as it were, wall of rock. But if you get closer, there are little caves and fissures, places to hide in. Well, David praised God in recognition of what God had done. He's worthy of praise. He'd called on God, and he had saved him from Saul all those months. And as a recognition of what God had done, David wants Israel to see that only God was worthy, worthy of their praise. There is no God like Jehovah. Are we praising God through all these days for his perfect ways, his grace, and especially his covenant grace, that grace that reached down and called you and I and enabled us to recognize and believe in the truth of his word, to believe in the Redeemer that he had given, to be trusting in Christ as our solid rock. Jesus taught that little parable, didn't he? Therefore, everyone who hears my words, he said, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. You know the rest of the parable. So let's carry on. We've got a lot of verses to cover. Verses 4 to 6. The cords of death encompassed me, and the torrents of ungodliness terrified me. The cords of Sheol surrounded me, and the snares of death confronted me. In my distress, I called upon the Lord and cried to my God for help, and he heard my voice out of his temple, and my cry for help before him came into his ears. We don't know the specifics of those severe situations that he's describing, but he's crying out to God. Do you see the waves and the torrents and the cords of Sheol and the snares of death? What was he going through? He had no one else but God to cry out to. God hears and comes to his aid. For him, it's a powerful story of deliverance. In his own desperate state, he cries out to God. Whatever situation it is, he feels done for, but God hears him. Have you been in such a dire situation? It feels like he's done for. There's no one else who can deliver. Well, you know, God is speaking through David as he speaks from this psalm. David says, this is what I did. This is what I did. I called out to God. I cried out. And that's why when we read these psalms, they resonate. They show us that we will experience situations perhaps not as dire as David, certainly not as dire as our Savior, but certainly they'll be the experience of every believer in Christ. And we know that Jesus, as David's greater son, certainly experienced the realities described in the psalms in a more heightened way. In fact, Jesus himself used the Psalms, we'll see that in the weeks to come, to describe what he was going through. 
But David says God heard from his holy temple and he answered. A time of distress is a time for prayer. And you know, sometimes the end that God has in mind in allowing his children to be in distress is to bring them to the throne of grace. There's mercy and grace to help in time of trouble. God does sympathize and he knows all things. He sees all things. He's everywhere. I could have picked up a few of the psalms this morning and, and did one of the laments. And I thought, no, we can lament enough. You know how, how easy it's been to lament, right? Over the masks and over everything that's happened. We can, we can lament on our own. But as I read this psalm, I thought, we need this. We need to be encouraged to realize God is everywhere. His ears are always tuned to our needs. And perhaps we, the best way to realize God's love for us is to remember that the covenant, which was God's promise to David, is now our promise. Everyone who trusts in Jesus are declared by God's eternal covenant to be his sons and daughters. Paul's words in 2 Corinthians 6 and 18, I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Now that was first said to David in 2 Samuel. So how did we get from here to there? Well, Jesus was the one promised, wasn't he? From the seed of David, did for us what we couldn't do or be. In Hebrews, we talk about um, after Christ made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that's why you and I are daughters, because of what he did at Calvary. Because we accepted, we came to him, we saw the truth in it. And we know that all the promises that were given back here in David's day are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. So I'm going on now to read verses 8. To 19. I'm skipping a few things because there is a, a lot of, of um, I should say, natural phenomena that's going on. But look at verses 8 right through to 19. Smoke went up out of his nostrils. Fire from his mouth devoured. Coals were kindled by it. We're seeing some natural phenomena here. This is it's sort of metaphorical, but is it? He bowed the heavens also and came down with thick darkness under his feet. He rode upon a cherub and flew. He sped upon the wings of the wind. He made darkness his hiding place, his canopy around him. Darkness of waters, thick clouds of the skies. From the brightness before him passed his thick clouds, hailstones and coals of fire. The Lord also thundered in the heavens. He sent out his arrows. And lightning flashes in abundance and routed them. Verse 15, then the channels of water appeared and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils, he sent down from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He delivered me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me, for they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my stay. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. God's power. See the the poetic description, the graphic imagery of God, he was protecting David. And I thought it was really interesting, smoke and glowing coals and thick darkness. What a way to describe God. He is powerful, and he uses creation for his purposes. Didn't he intervene in Egypt? Exodus 15 and 8. I, I was interested when David described the breath of his nostrils here in this, in this psalm. Because in Exodus 15 and 8, it says, And with the blast of your nostrils, the waters were gathered together, and the flood stood upright as a heap. What about the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day? And didn't he cause Sinai to quake? 
so many instances in the Old Testament. Now, we could talk about the instances in the New Testament, too, where the earthquake came, the veil of the temple was ripped, but that's for another time. But right now in the Old Testament, we see that David had and will have enemies. Saul, the Philistines' army. And you know the description that I, I read to you in, in verse 10 in Second Samuel? Um, it was going to be a time recorded, it's actually Second Samuel 5, when the Philistines made a second attempt on Israel. And I read it to you, that David inquired of the Lord, of course, unlike Saul, who insulted God and sought his own will. But here we see God responding to him. And so when we get to that point where he's talking about his wind, that he sent his wind, um, we see that God describes, and, and David describes what happens. God told him to go around to the rear, if you, if you read the story, Go round to the rear and wait for them opposite the balsam trees. And wait for it. Wait for it. When you hear the sound of marching in the tops of balsam trees, then rouse yourself, for then the Lord has gone out before you to strike down the army. So what was the sound of the wind? Was the sound of the wind striking fear in the hearts of the Philistines? Because it sounded like a mighty army? Or did the Lord use the wind as a cover so David could attack? He's talking about all these elements here. He's, he's mentioning the wind. And, and uh, in verse 10, when he says he sped upon the wings of the wind, is that what he was referring to? Whatever it was, God was there for David, using his power and control over all things, to use them for his purpose, to save his chosen one. Unlike Saul, who wanted his own way. But God, if he chooses, can be as swift as the wind to aid in our rescue. That's the God we serve, Jehovah. And we're to bring our petitions before him. James has some powerful words to say, doesn't he, in talking about prayer. And he's just saying, you have not because you don't ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. But we see David here when he asked, when he sought the Lord. It wasn't for his own motives. It was for God's glory. David's not exaggerating. He knew what he'd been through. He says, God rescued me, drew me out of many waters. Do you see that there? Verse 16, he drew me out of many waters. It's interesting how when you're looking through scripture and you start to think of different things and how things come to mind, the word drew is the same word used in Exodus 2 and 10, describing when the Egyptian princess drew Moses out of the water. In fact, she called him Moses because it means I drew him out of the water. Just a little piece of information. Just as Moses was drawn out of the water and rescued because God had a plan to rescue his Israel, so David uses that same word, drew, when he had just about perished. God drew him out of many waters. Why? Because God had a plan for David's life. And you and I know what the plan was. Down the road, many, many years later, would come our deliverer from David's line. So in verse 19... He drew me out. He brought me forth also into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Do you realize that God delights in you? Sometimes we're so hard on ourselves. If we could see how God loves us, not because of anything special we are or what we've done, but we're his treasure. He sought you and he brought you to himself. And one day we're going to fully realize how dear we are to the Lord. 
In Malachi, there's a verse that says, And they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son that serves him. There was a little song years ago written by a pastor named Cushing, and it was sung mostly for children, and I don't think it should be. And you know, we sang it a few years ago, I think, or a few months back. I don't even remember when, because time has gone. But... When he cometh, when he cometh, to make up his jewels, all his jewels, precious jewels, his loved and his own, like the stars of the morning, his bright crown adorning, we shall shine in their beauty. Great gems for his crown. That's what we'll be. That's all metaphorical. We're not going to be stuck in a crown. But that just shows you how precious we are. We are very precious. So now let's look at verse 21. Actually, 20. The Lord has rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. For I have kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his ordinances were before me, and I did not put away his statutes from me. I was also blameless with him, and I kept myself from my iniquity. Therefore, the Lord has uh, recompensed me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. So we see gratitude and thankfulness and honor for God's powerful part in his deliverance. But the words, the Lord dealt with me according to my righteousness and the cleanness of my hands. Really? David, hands, his hands were clean? Well, you know what? This is not a general claim. He's referring to specific situations. The two situations where he had opportunity to kill Saul and he spared him. He said, I'll not bring harm to the Lord's anointed. Um, there were two instances, if you remember reading in 1 Samuel 24 and 6, and then in 26 and 11, two instances where he had the opportunity. In fact, his men were saying, come on, do it. Come on. He deserves it. It's, here's your opportunity. But David said, no, the Lord has not given me the, op you know, the, the, the advice or, or the urging to do this, and I can't touch the Lord's anointed. Now, those men were loyal to David, and, and they were referred to as David's mighty men. But even mighty men can give wrong advice. They could justify David taking out Saul. They said in the cave, he's got it coming to him. Do it. David says, I won't. The Lord hasn't given me direction. So we see that David had been punished by God and forgiven because as we get down, and you know the story with Bathsheba, David had been punished. He had repented. There were moments he had explicitly chosen to follow God, to say no to opportunities because to do them would not bring honor to God. But then when he had sinned and he's confronted with his sin, he repented. And we'll see that again. His whole life was not always clean, but unlike Saul, he desired to be righteous. This truth we need to see. The difference between an honorable man and a man of dishonor. More importantly, he was no cardboard saint but a flesh and blood man of deep faith. And there's a note in one of my study Bibles that says the good news for other flawed people of faith is that it is precisely with such people that God chooses to build his kingdom. Ultimately, this is the case only because the true and final son of David, the Lord Jesus Christ, took the punishment of all the flaws of his people so that now all that qualifies us to be used of God is contrite acknowledgement of those flaws and trust in Christ for salvation. In the Old Testament, Isaiah is speaking God's word, and he says, But this is the one to whom I will look. 
He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. We know that Saul didn't tremble at his word, did he? But David did. God is worthy of all honor and adoration, not merely because of the blessings he bestows, but because of his qualities, his attributes. He's absolutely true in all his ways and perfect in all he does. He is utterly trustworthy to those who trust him. Well, 31 to 45 is quite a long portion, so we're going to do it together. For who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? The God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. He makes my feet like hinds feet and sets my feet upon my high place. He trains my hands for battle so that my arms will bend a bow of bronze. You have also given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand upholds me and your gentleness makes me great. You enlarge my steps under me and my feet had not slipped. I pursued my enemies and overtook them. I did not turn back until they were consumed. I shattered them so that they were not able to rise. They fell under my feet. For you have girded me with strength through battle. You have subdued under me those who rose up against me. You have also made my enemies turn their backs from on me. And I destroyed those who hated me. They cried for help that there was none to help. There was none to save, even to the Lord. But he did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust before the wind. I emptied them out as the mire of the streets. You have delivered me from the contentions of the people. You have placed me as the head of the nations. A people whom I had not known serve me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. Foreigners submit to me. Foreigners fade away and come trembling out of their fortresses. So David talks about God's provision. Again, he's calling him my rock, a place of safety. And he was a man of victory through God's strength, his massive victories. The credit he gives to the Lord. And that is the same truth we need to hold on to. God's our rock, our stability. The Lord had given David these massive triumphs, his military exploits. David says, the Lord gave me favor. The Lord brought this shepherd boy to the throne and he had prepared him for this moment. And David recognizes this. The conquest of his foes had been God's doing, and he'd made his enemies turn their backs in retreat. In 2 Samuel 10, there's a description where David strikes down 700 charioteers. I don't think we can imagine the scope of what these armies look like. And 40,000 horsemen. And the narrator, narrator says, when all the kings saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. And David describes that. They hadn't even met me, and yet here they, they're bowing to me. Well, we're finishing up. We're getting there. I know it's been a long portion of Scripture, but it just tells us who God was in David's life. 46 to 49, is it's God's character. The Lord lives. Blessed be my rock. Exalted be the God of my salvation. The God who executes vengeance for me and subdues peoples under me. He delivers me from my enemies. Surely you lift me above those who rise against me. You rescue me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. So when we look at this verse, the God, uh, just in verse 46, the Lord lives. He's not just saying God exists. He's giving witness to his character, celebrating his act of presence and his intervention in David's life. 
And David vows to give thanks among the nations, to spread the word of who God is to the nations. And 2 Samuel 22 ends on 49, doesn't it? If you've looked at it and compared it, it ends. But David adds something to Psalm 18. In verse 50, he says, He gives great deliverance to his king and shows loving kindness to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever. Great salvation he brings to his king. That was his Davidic covenant. A covenant that God had made with him is one that God will not break. He shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David, and his offspring forever. And that love will come down to us through the Lord Jesus. And just as Hannah had prayed in the temple years before, if you read her prayer, which is quite interesting, the Lord, she says, will judge the ends of the earth, and he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. And just as God through, spoke through Nathan to David and said, Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne, your throne shall be established forever. So now David is referring now not only to himself, but to God's anointed, the Messiah. I thought of the psalm writer David and how God spoke through him. The psalms are for us just as much as they were for Israel's encouragement and reminding. In some ways, the hymn writers, although not inspired in the same way scripture is, have been moved to write of their experience. How many hymns have you heard and we've sung, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me, uh, Oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I. But one that really hit me as I was getting ready for this, because it says something so um, profound and yet simple, and this was written by this pastor Cushing who um, had to give up the pastorate because he became very ill. His wife had died, he was... Uh, missing her and also the illness that had taken over his body and listen to the, the song and you older ladies will know this one. O oh, safe to the rock that is higher than I my soul in its conflicts and sorrows would fly so sinful so weary thine thine would I be thou blessed rock of ages I'm hiding in thee and you know the refrain hiding in thee Sing it with me. Hiding in thee, thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. Now here's the second and third verse. Actually, the third and fourth verse. No, I don't think I missed a verse, but here we go. In the calm of the noontide, in sorrow's lone hour, in times when temptation casts o'er me its power, in the tempests of life on its wide heaving sea, thou blessed rock of ages, I'm hiding in thee. And then this last verse. How oft in the conflict, when pressed by the foe, I have fled to my refuge and breathed out my woe. How often when trials like sea billows roll, have I hidden in thee, O thou rock of my soul. He may have been even reading Psalm 18 when he talks about the, the sea billows rolling, and often that's how it is, isn't it? We just feel like we're being deluged. Well, the beautiful thing is that all these psalms, all the times that the children of Israel cried out to the Lord for deliverance, there was one coming who could deliver as nobody else could because we know these kings failed, but King Jesus didn't. He came he lived that perfect life. He went to Calvary, died for us, rose again, and now he's interceding on our behalf. And I think when we do get down about all the different things that are happening in our life, we just turn to him. 
He's our great high priest. So just bow with me now. Before I close in prayer, though, Eve is going to deal with Psalm 25 next week. So please pray for her. You know, you're going through these Psalms and you want to do it for the Lord. And sometimes being weak, not sometimes, being weak like we are, the first thing in our mind is, I can't do this. But God has given us some good women who are willing to do this. So please pray for us as teachers. So let's just close. Father God, we just thank you. You are such a, a wonderful, powerful rock. And if we didn't have you, we don't know where we'd be. So we just bless you right now for all you've done. Thank you for these women who have come. Father, be with those who couldn't be here, those who are listening via podcast. Bless these young families. And even though they couldn't be here this morning because of the situation, Father, you use this as a time to draw them near to each other and to have that special blessing of leading these little ones each day, the opportunity to be at home, to impart some truth that they wouldn't have if they were at school. And for those of us, Lord, who are without children right now, help us to encourage those around to look for things that we can do. So take us home safely now and bring us back next week. In Jesus' name, amen.